Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. So what is the secret to America's success? Some might argue it's hard work or a sense of fair play. Others believe it's the entrepreneurial spirit that drives it all. Those are all good choices for sure. And the real secret might be the ordinary people who just do good in their communities and help each other every day, far away from the spotlight. It's it's where America really happens and often it is interesting that uh, people of religious faiths uh, do so much that drives so many things that creates upward mobility for so many that allows uh, others, especially those that are struggling, uh, to survive and ultimately improve and, and thrive. And I wanted to dig into that just a little bit. There's been some interesting uh, reporting and some interesting commentary going on uh, over the last week or so in terms of what is that proper role of religious people in America and what is their impact. You may remember a while back I spoke with Dr. Brian Grimm from Boston University. He looked at how religion has generated not just good service and good feelings in community, but actually drive some economic growth. Uh, the numbers were pretty amazing and a, a little astounding to me. Take a listen. Two years ago, we did a study uh, estimating the re- uh, contribution of faith to our society, religion to our society, and, and we estimated that every year, $1.2 trillion every year. And that's bigger than these big companies' annual revenues combined, many of them combined. Uh, and that falls into three categories. One, what happens at the local congregation, whether it's uh, you know, whatever your faith is, whether it's a, a local uh, ward or a, a stake, a diocese, all of that is economic activity, building buildings, hiring people, um, providing uh, seminars, training, all of that contributes to our economy. The second are faith-based institutions like uh, BYU or Catholic University. Uh, these are faith-based initiatives that add to our economy. And then faith-inspired or faith-related business. Uh, so Walmart is a new uh, entry into this field of having faith-based uh, employee groups. Uh, but Walmart has a very long religious history coming out of evangelical Arkansas. Uh, and uh, the, the faith was part and parcel of what uh, helped that company get up off the ground to become one of the world's premier uh, companies and our largest employer in the United States. So religion uh, generates $1.2 trillion in economic value in the United States every year. Uh, That's an amazing number. And it's everything from buildings to trainings, universities, uh, all kinds of other activities uh, that really do impact the economy. And it is sort of that secret sauce, I think, in the United States of America that we have this uh, religious pluralism. Uh, because one of the things that, that's really interesting, and there was a, a great piece, uh, it was on a, a substack called Persuasion Today. It's written by Ibu Patel, the founder and president of Interfaith America. And it talked about how religious groups from Muslims to Christians, 
don't limit their benevolence to just members of their own faith uh, or their own practice. And I think that's such an, an important part of, of all of that is that, no, they're not just, they're not just helping those that identify uh, similarly in terms of their faith, but it's everybody. It's helping all people in communities. And many Americans are involved in organizations that serve the community. Uh, really interesting uh, in this Substack piece uh, in Detroit, San Francisco, and Montgomery, Alabama, almost 50% of social services, 50% of social services are provided by faith-based groups. In Amarillo, Texas, it's over 70%. Six of the nine largest refugee resettlement organizations in the United States were founded by religious communities. And not a single one of those, by the way, restricts the resettlement work to their own identity group or their own faith group. Of course, uh, most of our uh, private universities were largely built by faith communities, the Lutherans, Catholics, Methodists, Presbyterians, uh, all of them. Now, of course, except people from uh, all walks of life employ faculty from all different uh, identities. Uh, So each of these organizations really contribute to this idea of, of civic and religious pluralism that we can get this space where people from different backgrounds come together and then they have these shared activities to promote the well-being uh, of other people. Uh, it's making a difference every day. And it's not driven by government. It's not regulated by government uh, other than some of the hoops that they probably have to jump through from time to time. Uh, but it is that natural thing. It's it it's uh, de Tocqueville uh, that this is this is what makes the country great, is because we have good people, and people of faith in particular are helping in communities and not just helping their own, so to speak, but helping everyone. And it was really interesting in this uh, this Substack article, again by Ibu Patel, who's the founder and president of Interfaith America talked about how this civic pluralism is so common in America that we often don't even stop and appreciate just how remarkable it is. And if you look around the world, uh, it's it's different. Different uh, societies do it just a little bit different than we do here in America. But what we have to recognize is that there's great power in it and that government should not try to restrict it or control it or manipulate it or regulate it. (laughs) Uh, Mostly the job of government in that space is to get out of the way and let the good happen, not make it harder for people who want to do good to do good. And so I I think it's really vital for us, especially in the tribalism uh, that we face today, all of the loud and angry voices uh, from extreme elements across the spectrum. Uh, they're loud, they're noisy, and they're trying to divide us. But again, you have to look at this incredible pluralism where it, it's neighbor helping neighbor in need. It's, it's not rocket science. It's how the country started. It's the old idea of the, the barn raising. If somebody in the community lost their barn to a fire, the neighborhood just came together 
and raised a new barn. Not because government told them to, not because anybody was mandating it or threatening a tax or a penalty. People are good for the most part. There's some bad apples for sure. Evil exists in the world, no question about it. And and the American people in particular are some of the most compassionate people on the planet. And so while people often like to bash the United States of America, even some within the United States of America who have prospered greatly because of our form and system of government, it's easy, it's easy to take shots. It's easy to poke holes. But what we really ought to do is recognize all the good that happens. Whenever there is a natural disaster anywhere in the world, the American people step up in a major way. We're really good at that. We have incredible compassion and not just compassion, but compassion combined with action, which to me is always the real test. Uh, Compassion alone is not going to cut it if we can't be helpful in some way. Now, we can't help everything every single time, but we can make a difference wherever we are. And so that's the test for us, I think, as a society, is to recognize and value that pluralism, meaning that faith groups are helping so many, not just of their own faith, but of all faiths, and have no faith at all. And to me, that's the ultimate in the American experiment. We're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. Uh, coming up, we'll uh, talk to our friend J.D. Trichilli, looking at the deep dive as to why the gas prices keep rolling. We'll talk about it. Stay with us. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.